Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Uh, this morning, I walked out. At this, uh, yeah, so this part of Ezekiel is usually not, like, you don't have songs on it. And so I was making the sermon, I realized why. Because <laughs> 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 um, this part, it's not a pretty part of the Bible, it's not a pretty part of even Ezekiel. Um, but as I was walking outside this morning, my grass, I noticed all my grass was developed, and it hadn't grown in a month. And I was like, why don't I grow? And uh, I, I kind of realized, well, look, it's just the time of year. Like, <laughs> the trees are also, they're not growing either. They're not green. Right. Why are they not green? Why are the leaves on the ground? Why are they red? And I think, you know, half the year, it's not green in, in Huntsville. Half the year, it's not warm in Huntsville. And half the Bible is not warm. <laughs> also. And, uh, I think that's, I mean, that's just part of life. That's part of the way God created the universe. There's a, there's a kindness to God, and there's also a sternness to God. I think Romans 11 says that. So here we're going to see some of the sternness of God. But if you read Ezekiel for warmth, you're probably not going to get it. Um, but if you read Ezekiel to try to understand who God is, then you're for sure going to get it. If we're sure going to get that out of Ezekiel. And I think that's the beauty of it. He reveals himself in this book in ways that he doesn't in other books. And it's one of, it's one of my favorite books. But uh, we're going to start in chapter 4. Um, a little cool thing about Ezekiel, um, right off the bat, there's a lot of similarities between Ezekiel and Jesus. So, where's my, sorry, I got a handful. So they both, oh, sweet. Okay, so Ezekiel and Jesus, they were both, Ezekiel's one of the main, one of the only people in the Bible who's called son of man. When God picks him up later, he says, hey, son of man. Yeah. So that's one similarity. Ezekiel is living in a foreign land. He's been taken from his home in Israel to modern day Baghdad, which is um, Babylon, right? So that's 900 miles away. Jesus was also in a foreign land when he was doing his ministry. He's not from earth. Right, he's from heaven, and so he's in a foreign land doing ministry. Uh, they were both priest and prophet. Um, Ezekiel was raised as a priest, raised to be a priest, although he didn't get to serve in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and then he was a prophet. He spoke to us on behalf of God. Um, Jesus was also a priest. Right, he went to a priest is someone who goes to God on behalf of the people. Right, they offer sacrifices, they offer prayers. And then a prophet is someone who goes to the people on behalf of God. And so both Ezekiel and Jesus were both these things. And then also, they both entered their ministry at 30 years old on the side of the river. So kind of cool, some, uh, some similarities between Ezekiel and Jesus. But we are going to jump into chapter 4, one of the nastiest stories in the Bible. And you get to hear a sermon about it. So, <clears throat> all right. So, 4 verse 1 says, Now, son of man, and this is his first, think about it, this is his first job as a prophet, right out the bat, like first, first assignment, right? 
probably pretty excited. This would be nice, huh? All right. Now, son of Ben, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. After you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a a day for each year. Turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with bared arm, prophesy against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you finish the days of your siege. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, wow. Fun. <laughs> yeah. This is my, my first internship with the church, right? <laughs> my first ministry. <clears throat> it sounds awful, right? It sounds like yeah. back pain, hip pain, knee pain, neck pain, right? Oh. Uh, and so this is what sets... Well, it doesn't really. The other prophets in the Bible also have to act out, but not this boob, right? Laying on your side for 390 days. The clay thing is cool, right? Like I could, if I just had to do a clay. My, I think my wife is doing something like that with Kingdom Kids, right? To build a little thing to teach the lesson. But she's not going to be out there for 390. <laughs> so this siege that he is showing to the people that he's demonstrating with this is uh, it's the third siege. So I made a little timeline here. The first siege, like the when we hear about Babylon attacking Jerusalem, it's not it wasn't just one day and then they were all gone. It was like a long period of time when Babylon was just bah, 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 and they So six oh five BC was the first siege. That was when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego <clears throat> that's when they were all taken. That's when Israel ceases to be a sovereign nation. Um, Second siege was, I do that backwards PC math. It was a few years later, and uh, that was when Ezekiel was taken, and also treasure was taken from Jerusalem. And then we see Ezekiel's first vision happened about five years after that, and then this thing that he's acting out is going to happen. It actually happened five years after he prophesied. And so the temple was completely destroyed. Most of the people were taken out of Israel, and Israel ceased to exist, basically. So it's cool to see like these things. They actually do come to pass. <clears throat> uh, so, all right. So we're going to continue reading because it gets worse. <laughs> so verse 9 let's continue reading it says take wheat and barley beans and lentils millet and spelt put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself you are to eat it during the 390 days you lay on your side weigh out 20 shekels of food to each to eat each day and eat at set times also measure out a sixth of hen of water and drink it at set times sweet okay so I have some food Right. Okay. Um, eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Okay, cool. Bake it in the sight of the people. That's no problem, right? Using human excrement for fuel. Okay. Wow. Oh, fuck. 
Alright. Wow. Alright. The Lord said, In this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Not so, sovereign Lord. I've never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I've never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, he said. I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. Then he said to me, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair. For food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. Now, do y'all remember what the, uh, the sermon series was last September? <laughs> Zaney, do you remember it? <laughs> I, I had to. I preached it. I had to look it up. <laughs> so we did the gospel series last September, and uh, okay, yeah. So we did the gospel series last September. Before that, it was the neighboring series. Now, if JD had been laying on his side out in the front lawn from last September to now. Laying on his side, eating bread baked with cow patties, right? <laughs> Made of beans and seeds and stuff, and prophesying and saying, The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And he was preaching the gospel series. If he had been doing that, right? And then he switched over because his back <laughs> was hurting or something, right? How would how would you feel? How would you feel as a church? <laughs> Something's wrong with him, yeah. We probably, well, we definitely remember what he said, right? We definitely remember, we're in the gospel series, of the church, yeah. Maybe, maybe don't come this series, maybe come next series, right? But uh, you'd probably, you'd be appalled. You'd want to vomit. You'd be uncomfortable. You'd probably want to leave. You'd be embarrassed, right? But you would remember it. You'd probably have some church trauma from that. And so what God is trying to get across to these exiles and their rock-hard foreheads, right, is that that is how appalling our sin should be, right? The prophet is bearing the sin of Israel and Judah symbolically, right, by laying on his side, and that's uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. It's super gross. And it's super gross to even look at, right? If I want to puke and if I want to run away and if I'm embarrassed by the consequences of my sin, but I'm not feeling that for the actual sin itself, then that's right there is where the issue is, right? To God, that is how disgusting the sin is, just the sin itself, not the consequences, the sin. But right now we're looking at the consequences. We're looking at what it looks like to bear the weight of the sin that was already committed, correct? So we should have that appalled. We should be as appalled at the consequences, not the consequences, the actual sin. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to jump to chapter eight. Yeah, I wish I could tell you it gets better. But... <laughs> so chapter eight. It's kind of cool, actually. So chapter eight, I'm going to start with verse one. This is one year later. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> because he's been laying on his side. So uh, a year later, it says in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, 
while I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. And I looked and saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was like was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. So here's a cool picture I found online. Of Sorry, I'm getting it. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, I messed you up. You're good. You don't worry about it. Um, so that's crazy. Um, I mean, we we can only draw pictures and use our imagination. <laughs> But uh, imagine you're sitting on your front porch and that comes and grabs you by the head, grabs you by your hair, rips you up into the sky. And then, oh, my goodness. And now all of a sudden you're in Jerusalem. Oh, okay, this is where I used to live. Oh, goodness. What are they doing? And then in the next image, you can see what they are doing. And they're worshiping some idol. Right. And he calls this the idol of jealousy. Is an idol of jealousy in the temple. And he says, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. So God, he's in he's in a dilemma right here. God is in a dilemma. Right? Because he has this temple that he's had built so that he can be with his people, so that his people can come to him, they can experience his presence, they can have their sins atoned for, all these things they can celebrate. They can mourn, they can do all these things with God, meet with God, right? But there's an idol right there. And so it makes me think about, like, imagine if you were on a romantic date, right, with your loved one, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, right? And then someone sits down right there at the table, at the table. And then your spouse, your novia, your novio, they, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, they start flirting with them, right? And they're flirting, and the way that they're flirting with this other person is the way that they flirt with you, right? The, the things that they do with you, they're doing with this other person. And it's right in front of you, right at the, day, at the dinner table. And then they get up and they go, they go home together. And you're just sitting there at this table, and your, your, love, your lover is gone, right? That is how God is, right? This special place for him and his people this idol jumps in, this idol of jealousy, and they're worshiping the idol right in front of him. This is how God feels. He's a jealous God. He's very, it's easy to think, oh yeah, I would be very jealous in that situation. But how jealous is God, right? So when we think about this, like what could be, if we were the people, right, what could be the thing that's making God feel jealous? In my relationship with God, what could I, am I making God a third wheel on this date? And what am I making him a third wheel with? Right, what am I cheating on God with? Let's continue in verse 10, as it continues. Uh, so verse 10, it says, So I went in and I looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. 
In, in front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, and Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was running. So I want to talk about two things in this, right? So they got the creepy crawlies, animals painted on the walls, and then they're doing incense to these pictures. And it's the 70 elders of Israel. So those scholars agree that those pictures of whatever was on the wall, the animals, it was from Egyptian influence, right? Creepy crawlies, unclean animals. Uh, the Egyptians, they worship serpents, crocodiles, frogs, cats, flies, locusts, all these things. If you remember from the plagues, that was why those plagues were those plagues. It was to destroy the, Egypt, the Egyptian idols, right? Um, and then, yeah, painted on the wall, and they're doing the incense to it. These creepy crawly animals. And so I had to look up, like, because you see incense in the Bible all the time, and ain't no incense at Great Festival Church. So, like, what is what's the significance of burning incense? So the significance was in the temple, in the holy place, incense was supposed to be burnt to God. It's supposed to be burning every single day to Yahweh. And the smoke rising was supposed to symbolize our prayers rising up to God. So here again, we find something that was special between us and God, us and Yahweh, and we're using it for an idol. Right? The smoke is burning to another, a creepy quality, and a picture of a lizard, right? Come on. Yeah. Let's continue in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Son of man, have you seen what the others of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. So here we get a, because we look at these idol worshipers, we're like, why, why are they even doing it? Right? And they tell you why they do it. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. That's the reason why they are worshiping these idols. The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And so how often in our lives does the idea that God has forsaken us lead us to sin. The idea that God has forgotten about us, that God, he doesn't see me, yeah. and it yeah. leads you to idolatry. It leads you to worshiping or doing something else yeah. other than God. It's all over the Bible. Adam and Eve, right? They felt like they were missing out. And so they go and they eat the fruit. Right? Abraham, he felt like he was missing out. Like God had forsaken him. He goes and he sleeps with Hagar. Right? The Israelites, they're without Moses for just a little bit as he's on Mount Sinai. He comes down and now they're worshiping this calf. Right? This false idea that God has forsaken you, it leads them yeah. it leads them to idolatry. We continue in verse 14. It says, Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there mourning the God to lose. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? I like how God is saying that. He said, Do you see this? You see this? Uh-huh. We get to see his emotions, his, his feelings. Look at this. You'll see things that are even more detestable than this. So, the women mourning the god Tammuz. So I looked it up. Tammuz is a Babylonian fertility god. And so they thought that his death caused the annual wilting of the plants. So these women, they're, oh, they're crying at a made-up deity. They're pouring their emotions out to this made-up deity. 
They're pouring their heart out to the maid of beauty. And then later on, I'm not going to read it, but he sees men bowing down to the sun. And when you bow down to the sun, if you're the temple of Oops, baby. Oh, skip that one. If you bow down to the sun, then you're not facing like you have your back to the temple. So I put emojis on here so you can see. But so at the top where you see the, the smoke, that's where they're burning incense to that idol. And then the idol is the purple guy. And then the crying emojis are the women crying, right? And then these these guys is the twenty-five men bowing down to the, the sun. And so this is where I mean they they should have been they should have been burning incense to God right here. They could have been sacrificing to God right here. But instead they were doing all this silliness. In in the, the with the nerve like they are in the temple, you know, right in his face. And so they're doing these, all these things kind of relate, right? Like the fertility God, like that was for like the the harvest, the plants, they're bowing down to the sun because they want the sun to like be. It was all about like the season, like the harvest, right? Like, oh, we had a bad harvest, so let's, what do the Egyptians do when they have a bad harvest? Let's go and do that silliness. What do the Babylonians do when they have a bad harvest? Let's go and do that. Let's go cry for this make believe guy. Let's go bow down to the sun with our back to God, right? And so, what does the world do when they hit a hard time? What does the world do when they hit difficulty? And how do they cope? They were copying the Babylonian and the Egyptian ways of coping with a hard situation. So how does the average American deal with a hard time? Where do they go to? When money's not good, when relationships aren't good, when life's not good, where do they go to? How do they cope with that struggle? And us as Christians, does it look the same? Do we cope the same way that the world copes? The way that we cope should be a stark, stark difference from the world. So is the incense that you're supposed to be burning to God, the prayers that are supposed to be going up to God, is that burning somewhere else? The emotions that you could be pouring out to God who actually wants to take your cares and your anxieties on on his shoulder, right? Are they being poured out to irrelevant, make-believe things? Or are you turned with your back to God, just completely looking at something else, something shiny? As children of God, we cope in a certain way. We think in a certain way. We fight in a certain way. And we even relax in a certain way. God has given us all these certain ways that he wants us to do these things. And he he wants us to do them with him. He's a jealous God. So... We're going to move on to chapter 13. And, uh, but, uh, so this was kind of like, when we talk about priests and prophet, like priests, remember, priests go to God on behalf of people. So this is kind of like priestly stuff, right? They're going to, well, they're not going to God, they're going to idols on behalf of their land, on behalf of maybe their family, their people. So this is like priestly sense. Now we're going to get into prophet sins, like the sins of a prophet. Mm-hmm. And so chapter 13, I think this is super cool. And only Ezekiel, I've only seen this in Ezekiel. I've only seen this in Ezekiel 13 in the Bible. I think it's really cool. So when people prophesy, when people speak on behalf of God, there's usually three 
three three spirits that they can prophesy from, right? So there's the Holy Spirit, where God literally is speaking through the prophet. There's evil spirits, where evil spirits will speak through prophets sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then there's a third one, and it's the human spirit. Mm-hmm. It's your own doggone mind, your own imagination. So Ezekiel 13 talks about this. That's why I love Ezekiel. Verse 1, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. You follow your own spirit, you've seen absolutely nothing. You're prophesying from your imagination. Right? If you turn on the TV, you'll probably see pastors saying, Oh, I saw oh, God, Lord told me that prosperity is in your future. You're going to be a millionaire. You might have a new car coming to you, right? I don't know if that's an evil spirit. It doesn't sound evil, right? It doesn't sound super demonic. But I don't know if that's biblical. That I, a Mercedes Benz is God's will for me. I don't see that in the, in the Bible. For real. Or you see the uh, thing more down to earth thing is, oh, I think God wants me to marry this person. <laughs> oh, God told me that you're my future wife. God told me you're my future spouse. We see that sometimes. That's not necessarily evil, but it's not biblical, really. It's, that's your own imagination. Right? You thought really hard about that. Right? You were like, please, God, is this, is this it? Yeah, I think so. Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's jump to verse 10 and he elaborates a little bit verse 10 it says because they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace and because when a flimsy wall is built they cover it with whitewash therefore tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones hurling down and violent winds will burst forth when the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where's the whitewash you covered it with? So these false prophets are out here saying, peace, peace, peace. So I want you to imagine, imagine Ezekiel right now, and he's been laying on his side for a year, and he's prophesying, and he's saying, you guys are idolaters, God is disgusted with you, by the way. I saw a wheel inside a wheel with eyes on it, <laughs> and I saw angels with six wings. And and uh, but we're in exile because of this, and Jerusalem's going to be completely destroyed. It's going to be destroyed because of your sin, right? And Ezekiel, he's doing real deal prophecy. It is not a glorious job for Ezekiel. He's laying in the dirt, telling it like it is, and these people are in exile, and they probably feel like he's kicking them all down, right? right? Oh. Oh. And he's he's over here telling. Them, ah, ah, ah. For like 26 chapters. That's what Ezekiel was preaching. And then he looks over on the other side of town. And you got these other <laughs> these other prophets. And they're like, peace, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just peace, man. Peace, man. No, man. Nothing's going to happen, man. It's all good, dude. <laughs> right? They're saying, peace, peace, man. Oh, Jerusalem? No, it's okay, man. <laughs> While Ezekiel has dirt on his side. And, Smells like cow dog, right? right. Yeah. So which prophet would you rather listen to? Mm-hmm. 
Whose church would you rather go to? Who would you rather be your disciple? <laughs> uh, which one would you rather be? Would you rather be Ezekiel or would you rather be peace, dude? Right. So when we share the word of God with people, or even if you are interpreting the word of God for your own self, or for your family, whoever you are a prophet to, we must leave our own imagination, right. our own best hopes, our own best wishes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. we got to leave our best wishes and our heart out of it. We know that our heart is deceitful above all. Right. Right. Yeah. And when we're waiting for God's word and we're waiting for that still small voice, we got to make sure <laughs> it's not our own little yeah, like that, you know, it's our own heart whispering in our own ear. Because that is a possibility. Yeah. And the reason why is because it's like putting whitewash, right? It's not going to last. It's not going to hold up. When you hit hard times that I believe in the Mercedes Benz, it's not going to get you through it. Right. It's not going to get you through it. <clears throat> when the rain comes down and the storms rise, it's not going to get you through it. So another thing, another aspect of this that he touches on is in verse 22. I think this is interesting. Verse 22, he says, because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief and because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you're discouraging righteous people, and then you're encouraging wicked people, right? Yeah. Or you're not warning wicked people. Wow. And I think sometimes we can like laugh at people for being like really spiritual, mm-hmm. right? Even as Christians, we can be like, oh, they're, I mean, they're, I'm not that spiritual, yeah. right? And we can kind of mock that and not encourage it. Right, and then on the other hand, someone who's in sin, someone who's wicked, we're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ruffle the feathers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we can be, you know, prophesying from our own imagination. We just kind of water it down. We kind of whitewash the wall. Just put a nice, clean, you know, this on it. And then that that righteous person who has a great heart, they're getting discouraged. That wicked person, they're getting emboldened. Mm-hmm. Right. And neither of those are going to stand through the rain. There's people back then who thought that they were going to be saved from Babylon. Like they, they thought Israel was going to be saved from Babylon just because they were Israel. Yeah. Like, just because wow. we descend from Abraham, just because we're the right people, God's going to save us. Forget all the incense rising and the creepy crawlies and us. God's going to save us. We're Jews. Right. And that was a complacency. That was the peace dudes, right? But Ezekiel, he didn't, he couldn't go to them and preach warmth. He couldn't go to them and agree. He had to say, no, there's violence coming because you have committed violence. So we should prepare yourself and prepare your people, whoever they are, with the true word of God. Not a whitewashed wall. Something that will stand the test of time. Something that will get that person through decades of spiritual warfare. Right. Amen. Don't let it be from you, not your imagination, but let it be from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's also make sure that when times are hard, 
We're not imitating the world's way of coping. Right. Right. We're not going to idols. We're not going to something else. But we're going to God. And we're going to God in the manner that he wants us to go. Right there. Then also, let's be appalled at our sin. Let's be disgusted at our sin. And not just disgusted at the consequence of our sin. Uh, I want to read a scripture completely out of context. But I want you to just listen to it. Listen to it without any context and see how it sounds. It's kind of cool to just hopefully, I don't know if you recognize it right off the bat, but um, this is what God says. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. <laughs> Exodus 20, that's the first and second commandment. But when we think of it like commandments, maybe we interpret it different. When you think of it as this is God talking to me, it's, right. it was kind of poetic, you know? Yeah. It's really poetic. He said, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. Don't worship those old gods. Right? I'll, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. I'm a jealous God. I want you for myself. That's God's heart for us. So as we prepare for communion, um, this this uh, section of Ezekiel, is, it's not pretty. Right, it's a lot of condemnation. It's a lot of rebuking. It's a lot of look at what's going wrong. And I think during communion we should be thinking, okay, what am I doing wrong? What did I do wrong this week? How have I fallen short? But at the same time, as Christians, we can think, how is God's grace stepped up? How is God's grace sufficient? How is the the man that He sent, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to be my priest? be my prophet. How has he saved me? And how grateful I am for that. So I'm going to pray and we'll take communion. Oh, Father God, thank you for this section of scripture, this embarrassing, ugly, disgusting story, these crazy images of you on a throne, burning metal and fire and lightning and eyes and wings and stuff and, uh, and exposing our idolatry, exposing our hearts, God. But I thank you that you also expose your heart. Um, I thank you that we can trust that you are a God who is fair, that you are a God who is jealous for us. You want us for yourself. You want our hearts. You want our emotions. You want our worship. You want our quiet time. You want our, our noisy time. Um, I thank you for that. I thank you for sending your prophet Ezekiel, to those people, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for us in this time. Um, I pray that, yeah, we meditate on your body that was given for us and your blood that is poured out for this new covenant that we are in. And I thank you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen.
this time, we will go prepare for our giving and prayer for contribution. Please bow your hands. Dear God, thank you for that amazing message. Heavenly Father God, as Nathan said, I haven't heard a sermon on that before. But God, it's your word. It is your bread. God, we should be speaking on these things as much as we speak on the things that make us glad and joyful, God. God, I pray that we can give out of a willing heart, God, a desire to glorify you and worship you the way you want to be worshipped, God, as it was spoken today. Not what our imagination wants it to be, not what we think our giving is going to go. We give because you gave us everything. God, you gave us literally yourself. Satan said, I want God dead. He said, I can pay that for the people that I love. And your Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.